this morning, uh, I, I've been uh, contemplating uh, uh, qu quite a lot this week of, of, of why it seems that some people are, are very successful in communicating their faith to unchurched people and others aren't. Okay. Some people just have that natural uh, gifting, if you want to call it, uh, to, to take the love of God that they have received, the grace of God, and dispense it freely into people in the community. And, and I think, uh, in my mind, there are, there are three reasons that stop us. Number one is we have no understanding that as Christians, we are not called just to take God's word and keep it within our own hearts. Okay, once saved, always saved, going to heaven. That's great, wonderful theology, but that's not the theology that Jesus shared. Okay, uh, that that's more, more out of selfishness. And uh, as long as I'm going to heaven, I'm okay. I'm not really interested in what is happening in the lives of others, right? The, the second reason is we are fearful. We, we are fearful that if we share our faith, we might be rejected. And uh, you have to embrace rejection as part and parcel of the entire gospel process. Jesus was rejected by his nation. Jesus was rejected by some of his disciples. Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders, but he kept focused on preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. Uh, he was functioning effectively in one of the most repressive and oppressive Political systems of his time, labor, liberal, he didn't get involved in those things. I, 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 I'm sometimes saddened to hear Christians talk more about what is happening in local politics than sharing the message of faith. I, I, I personally recognize one thing. Irrespective of who is ruling and governing, God is on the throne. Amen? Either he is or he isn't. So you may be a labor voter, or you may be a liberal voter, or you may not be voting at all and just pay the 50 buck fine. That's fine. I sometimes do that. Okay, I'm not telling you to be my, a role model like me. Uh, but I, I, I am just, just, just concerned that, that there are people out there who are hurting, who are broken, who, whose lives God wants to put together through you and me, and we are so indifferent to that reality. Amen? It's got to be quiet here. So I must be preaching to the right crowd. Oh, well, good we'll to see you in the front seat. Uh, I thought you were a visitor. So that that's progression. All right, I'm, not, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but welcome. Okay, so so understanding what, what I term divine intersections. And as I began to read through the scriptures slowly, and allow the Holy Spirit to open my heart, I began to see a pattern, a pattern that I use in my life with tremendous success. Tremendous success. And the only difference between you and me is not my calling, but the day I got saved and came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord number one and surrendered my life unconditionally to him and said, God, in my messed up state, take me and use me as an instrument of your grace 
till the end of my life, he does it. I'm 77 plus now. And yesterday I was at a function. Uh, was it day before yesterday? I'm losing track. In fact, when uh, Johan came up with Veronique, I said, look, this is an embarrassing question, but what's your name? <laughs> because it's hard to remember so many names now. Okay, so if I call you John and your name is Jenny, don't misunderstand me, right? As long as I get the gender right. And uh, I, 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 began, I began to be discipled by somebody who operated out of that pattern, the pattern of Jesus. And, and if you read slowly and carefully, Jesus is constantly making connections with people whose hearts the Heavenly Father has prepared. That's the gospel. I remember 15 years ago going to a church in this region that were having a seminar how to reach Asian people for Christ. Because at that time, there were a lot of Asian people coming into this part of the, 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 the community. And so I went to that church, and it's a very well-known church, so I cannot name them. And we are Asian, I and somebody else. And we sat there right through this seminar, and not one person spoke to us. I would surely like to return there. They're having a seminar. How to reach non-Australians for Christ. And the only two non-Australians who were sitting in the seminar didn't have anybody even say hello to them. Wow. And, and it, it, I began, it began to dawn on me that, that, that we are more comfortable sometimes with people from our culture that we miss the opportunity to reach out to people who might be from a culture that is different to ours, but yet whose heart God has prepared to receive the gospel. Jesus, John chapter 4, verses 4 to 10, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jewish men avoided Samaria. You wouldn't go there if you were Jewish, but Jesus deliberately went through. So, in your gospel witness, you must be willing to break down barriers and boundaries that culture sets up. Because you don't know within that geographical location that there could be one person whose heart God has prepared and is choosing you to go through it. I was at a shopping center. I was at Woolworths in Roville and uh, there was a Korean lady uh, with a trolley. She must have been in her 70s. And for those of you who, 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 who don't know, the Korean people are very evangelistic. 45% of Korea is Christian today. And this this lady came up to me and unapologetically said, can I pray for you? And I said, yes. God, some of you know I need prayer. And we agreed on that. 
And uh, then she asked me, where are you from? And I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, you pastor, you pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. I, I, I shouldn't be praying for you, you should be praying for me. I said, no, no, no. I'm quite open to the reality that, that, that you were walking around this place looking for somebody whose heart God might have prepared in order to receive a prayer. And I may have needed the prayer that now. God knows I need prayers every day. Somebody thinks pastoring is the, a great job. I just have my job for a week and you'll find out. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob as well was there. So Jesus, being tired from his journey, was sitting by the well about the sixth hour. Wow. You know, people always complain, oh, you know, work in Australia is so hard. Oh, you know, at the end of the day, we are so tired. So we got to take the weekend off. We got to stay Sunday home, sit in our pajamas and listen to online services. I know some pastors in, in Sri Lanka who cut their online services off because people got lazy and stay at home. Right? Right or wrong? Yeah, there are some people who are watching me now right online with their pyjamas and their bowl of chips at the side. It's come to that in this nation. And they're Christian. I can understand that they're wrong Christian. Darling, make me a cup of tea. And the wife has to come up with the tea. You know, hello, you love me still? I had a word of knowledge there for one of you. Okay, so so we see that there's a pattern in what Jesus did. Number one, he got the mind of the Father on whom he was to reach. And in his humanity, I don't think he fully understood what the next move might be, and we, we can sit and debate that for the next 2,000 years. But he went in response to a direction, to a place he would not normally go. And there, in the noon day, is a woman whose life was so entangled, she could make a pyramid out of her life. Five husbands. By Job, some of us find it hard living with the one husband we have. How did she manage five? We don't know. And the guy she was living with was just, you know, on the side. But the funny thing is this, when he met her, he didn't draw from the knowledge he knew about her past. He was only interested in her future. Jesus was attracted to brokenness. And wherever there was a broken person, he tried to show up. Do we do that? Do we do that? And he didn't do it with a judgmental, condemning spirit. We hear a lot of talk in church life about evangelism and all that stuff, but in reality, it is hardly done in many, many churches. You don't do evangelism in a church on Sunday morning when some new person shows up. 
the word evangelism comes good news. Just taking the fact that you and I have received the grace of God and we want to take that grace and dispense it to somebody who does not know him. And so in 1975, when I gave my heart to God and I made that decision, the following Sunday, soon after the first service, we had three services during the Sunday, soon after the first service, we would walk literally miles taking the good news and the grace of God that we had received and dispense it to people who needed to hear it. We didn't understand fully what the word evangelism meant. But the one thing we knew in our hearts is that like this woman, God had transformed our lives supernaturally by his grace. And I wanted others to receive that same grace for themselves. It's not rocket science. Day to day, moment to moment, we interact with people whose hearts God could have prepared. It wasn't a coincidence, it was a connection. And you and I must be opened to divine connections. Truth number two, people won't come into the church and say, can I get saved? You know, I saw the cloud of, uh, I saw the, 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 the fire at night over the, the, uh, the ceiling of your church and I realized God is there. doesn't happen that way. Nobody walks into a church and says, I want to get saved. They will only come when we go out to them. And I want to challenge you in your comfort, in your apathy, in your indifference. If you don't do what God wants you to do, after a season, he will take that anointing off you and put it on somebody else. I, my heart bleeds for a lot of friends I know personally who missed their moment. I know so many people who came to Bible college with a sincere desire to serve God, but got distracted by the affluence of this nation and have chosen a different life. And say they know about God, but they don't know God. Jesus asks her a drink. He was making a connection. He knew everything that was, had happened in her life, but he didn't draw attention to it. And then she says, Don't you know I'm a Samaritan? Wow. Don't you know I'm a downcast. Don't you know I live at a different level in social life that you live at? You're a Jew. You got everything going for you. The Jewish God is on your side. He's Yahweh. He created the universe. The Samaritans had a deeper understanding of what the Jewish faith was. And they felt marginalized. Huh. 
But he turned around and tell her, the water you are looking for will never satisfy you. But if you drink of the water I give you, it will become a well unto everlasting life. And there are two different words for the word water there that he uses. So there are people like this woman whom society has marginalized, who are carrying hurts and wounds from broken marriages, broken relationships, who have made a mess of their lives, and they deserve the judgment of God, like the Pharisees said. But God dispenses grace to them through Jesus. That's what made the gospel attractive to me. I don't know about you, but I came from a very religious background. I was a very devout Catholic. The word Catholic means universal. By the way, there have been a lot of Catholics in heaven. Might surprise some of us. And in whatever I did, I did with great devotion. So much so that when I had to go once a month to confession at St. Peter's College, Colombo, I would spend so much time at the confessional that I would have to come up, uh, come out of there saying 15 rosaries. You can understand what that means. And then when I go the second time, the priest would peep through that little thing and say, you back again? But what had is had on my life? In spite of the mess that my life was in. And one day, he touched me. There's an old hymn, give me the old hymns anytime. Those, those hymns were written in some of the darkest moments of a person's life and, and they carry the gospel light. Oh, he touched me, he touched me, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me. It will no longer be the same. You know this woman, society didn't think much of her. The religious leaders wouldn't have thought much of her. But Jesus came to add value to broken lives. That's the gospel. That whilst we were yet sinners, God loved us. And he used these words and witness to bring hope and healing to a wounded body and spirit. And you know, a lot of people don't know the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. She goes to her village and she shares the witness. She leaves her bucket behind. The bucket had no value anymore. And through her witness, Samaritan men and women come to Christ. But her story doesn't end there either. She became a great influence in the New Testament church. And tradition says she was martyred for the cause of Christ. Wow. And it all started with an understanding of divine intervention. So next time you look at people who are hurt, who are broken, 
who are all messed up, look at them through the eyes of Jesus. And it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. They did a survey in some area in the United States where there are a lot of, you know, massage parlors and all that type of thing. And they asked some of the ladies, would you go to a church? And the answer was no, we wouldn't be accepted there. That's true. Sadly, but true. Jesus had the ability to look beyond human failure and give hurting, sinful people a new start and an opportunity in life. There go we, but for the grace of God. So it's not rocket science. I didn't know there were 66 books in the Bible. But the one thing I did know is that God so loved the world, he gave his son for me. And through him I can have eternal life. And so we shared that reality. Sunday after Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, wherever opportunity came, wherever the Spirit of God directed us and guided us. And in the first two years of our ministry, we had a tremendous harvest. I didn't go to Bible college to do that. You don't need to go to Bible college to learn how to share the love of God with somebody. You need to open your Bible, you need to look at what Jesus did, and you need to go out and do it. In the mind of Jesus, this is who she is. But when the grace of God enters her life, this is whom she can become. And it's very interesting because Jesus waited till his disciples left to have this communication with uh, and I kept asking why. Number one, the twelve, the disciples, were in bondage to Jewish rules and rituals. Now, even in this church, we have our own rituals and traditions. We do every church has it. We're not even conscious sometimes. I I I, I saw a I saw a, 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 a signage from an American church uh, in in one of the Christianity magazines uh, many 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 years ago. And it says, parking for Methodist members only. Others' cars will be towed away. That's one way to get people to church on Sunday. Right? That's one way. Who takes the best car parks? The Christians. We don't want to park out there. We want to park right here. I've done the survey, so I know what I'm talking about. And then we are praying till we are, our hair turns purple. God, bring them in from the spheres of sin. Right, I love this. I'm enjoying it. I don't know about you. Parking for Methodist members only. So if you're a visitor, you can get your car towed away. Somebody's going to show up in that church on Sunday morning. Wow. The disciples had ingrained mindsets 
that were essentially Jewish in origin. Jewish theology doesn't wear away very easily. Doesn't wear away very easily. It's a fixed mindset. When you have a fixed mindset, you have very little fruit that is measurable. That's the key. In the Bible, everything was measured. Somebody says, oh, you know, we preach and leave the results to God. That sounds very spiritual. But in the Bible, they counted. There were 3,000, there were 5,000, there were 99. Then he left the 99 for the one. We have a moral responsibility to care for the flock. Every Sunday morning, my eyes go from here to there, from there to here, and I can tell exactly who is here and who is not here in about half an hour after the service finishes. Because that's my moral responsibility before God to look after the flock that God has provided and has given in my care. That's why I gave you a welcome. Jesus, they didn't understand that Jesus came to break down barriers and build bridges. So they had to wait till the twelve go away to do it. Because when they came, they said, He's talking to a Samaritan. Oh. A Jewish rabbi never spoke to a woman. But he's breaking all the rules. Kokias. He is God of the universe. He can set the rules. And he can break the ones he wants to when he wants to. I had a Hindu student who one day was standing outside the church. And I said, come in. Come in. She said, no, I can't. And I didn't understand Hindu culture and Nepali culture and, and all that went on. Uh, you do Google search now, it's all there. And because she was a woman and she was going through something, she was outside because in her religion, you can't come in like that. Outside. I said, he died. You can come inside. Wow. Never heard it before. And then I did some Google searching. And uh, in that culture, uh, they have to have little huts outside the village where the woman has got to go and stay there until whatever is finished and she comes back. Jesus broke down all that stuff. But, but you know what? You know what? When, when, when Jesus died and the way in the temple was torn in two, you know what? Some of the religious leaders went at it. They went and sewed it up. That's what we do sometimes in church life. It's hard stuff, isn't it? You don't like to hear this preaching. Neither do I. But that's the truth. I've been in this place long enough to know that. We go and stitched up. Your new year, you can't be used by God until we decide. Who decides? He does. We have our own rules. They are visible to the human eye. You got to pass all the tests. You got to jump all the hoops. And if we think you are 
suitable. No. No. Jesus was Jesus. God is God. If God brings somebody here and their heart and their spirit is aligned with the vision that God has given us and they are willing to serve wherever they are positioned, we have to use them. No negotiation on that. Water. She, he, he, she, he wanted water and the water that he gave her was different. You see, Jesus had a front-end view of God. That's what we need. That's what we need. We need to get rid of all this religious stuff that makes us look very spiritual. And we need to realize that if we are saved today, it is only because of the grace of God and nothing else. Then we can be graceful and gracious to others if and when they fail. Jesus wasn't attracted to sinfulness per se, but he knew he had within himself the ability to turn people's sin around. It wasn't an indiscriminate connection, it was intentional. Intentional. He knew he has to go through Samaria. They avoided it. But the father said, go. There's a woman there whose life needs to be touched. Only you can do it. The twelve can't. The twelve haven't come to that deep level of understanding of God's love for lost and sinful people. And there are a lot of good people in church life. Oh, you know, get up at five o'clock in the morning and do their devotions. You know, five o'clock, not five one, not four fifty-nine. Five. You're a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. God doesn't care whether it's five one or four fifty-nine, because as long as your heart is right before Him, God doesn't keep timing on what time you get up to pray and what time you go to sleep and what time you do your devotions. And if you didn't read the Bible today. He really doesn't care. He wants a heart that is soft and tender, not just towards him, but to others who are hurting and broken in life. That is the gospel. And the moment we come into an understanding of what the gospel is, we can love people who in the natural we can't love. You know, there are some people who are so messed up and they come to me and I feel like giving them a kick in the rump, you know, but then the grace of God comes upon me and I realize I am who I am by the grace of God. It's not easy. I never wanted to be a pastor. My God, God knows. I like to be an evangelist because if you're an evangelist, you preach a message, give a few prophecies here and there. In the crowd, you just say there are two people whose legs are paining. If a hundred people are there, two legs will obviously pain. Right, sir? You take your love offering and you move on, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, you know, that's that easy stuff. I I've seen some of these cheap gimmicks. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Forty-eight years in ministry. 
He tore down the wall of partition, Ephesians 2.14, to make one the church. He walked amongst them. He heard their cries of brokenness. And he provided healing to those who needed. There was a man by the pool of Bethsaida. He'd been there 38 years, I think. 38 years. He went all the way and he healed the guy. He said, I, I want to get healed. I want to get into that water. You know, there's nothing, there was nothing supernatural about the water, but there was some myth or some belief. And, and Jesus went out to him. And you know what? The guy didn't even know it was Jesus who healed him. He, he, he didn't do what modern-day evangelists do. Get the guy on the platform, you know, show him to all the world, the universe, and then take a love offering for, for the ministry. He didn't do that. In some places and in some ministries, the ministry has moved so far behind the teachings of Jesus that Jesus' teachings are no longer recognizable. Wow. And they asked the guy, what happened? He said, I got healed. I don't know. Who healed you? I don't know. Well, the guy came and told me to walk. I got up and walked. And then they saw him in the temple. That's another story. Okay. Then number two, we have the eunuch in, in Acts chapter 8, 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, go, get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. The Holy Spirit is sending Philip into a desert. Now, I have flown over that desert. It's just desert. There is not a cat there. You get a few palm trees. Then you get a few camels and the Bedouins, they know how to navigate that desert. Go to a desert? Yes, divine Appointment. Now, Philip doesn't know whom he's going to meet. When God wants you to reach out to somebody, he doesn't give you all the details. Some of you are process people. Process people. You, you need it all processed in your mind before you act. God doesn't work that way. He works in the opposite. You want the root map, no Google. He just said, go. But he obeys. He obeys. And there is a eunuch who is Ethiopian, dark-skinned. He's in the chariot reading Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. He, he can't go into the temple because he's a eunuch. But in Isaiah, there's a promise that the message of the gospel would come to eunuchs also. And so this is the first guy that is going to receive Christ as his Savior and Lord just because one man called Philip chose to be obedient to a direction, not rocket science. Wow. Who is your eunuch? He's the finance minister of Ethiopia. And you know what? He gets saved. He doesn't do four baptism classes. Immediately he gets baptized and he takes the gospel and goes to Africa. And because of one man's act of obedience, Africa receives the gospel for the first time. Wow. Wow. 
and you are praying, God, please use me. And God says, when? Hattery. I know a lot of Christians and I love them for who they are, but they are pathetic in their Christian witness. Because they do not understand how God works in human history. Always through an intervention and an interaction. It takes two people, one to give, one to receive. That's all. And the timing of God. Nothing happens by accident. Because there are no accidents in God. So the eunuch opens his heart to the message of the gospel. And then we come into Acts chapter 9. The story of Ananias. Now we have our own share of Ananiases. Ananias is a very devout man. He's a very good man. You know, he's, he's, he's praying and he does his prayers well. And then, now there was a disciple in Damascus in 10 to 17 whose name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him, Ananias, and he said, here I am, quick to respond. Quick to respond. Some people are quick to respond, slow to follow. Slow to follow. Quick to respond, slow to follow. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him. So Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to others, all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument unto me. You know what the principle number three is? You don't get to choose whom you witness to. God does. God does. I have a friend of mine in the southern, north, south, east, west western part of Sri Lanka, who, he was a drug addict. He used to sell cigarettes in the bus stand, the public bus stand. He used to sell cigarettes and go to shops and demand money. And if you don't give the money, he punches the shop owner up. And he got saved through our ministry. 1981, I didn't even know I didn't even know. And I heard the last time I went, many years ago, there was a certain president in power and uh, he went to the president of the country, right? right? Who is this guy? I mean, if you look at him, you get scared. He went to the president of the country and he said, Mr. President, he didn't apologize. I didn't apologize. And he was President, you know, how nice to meet you, like some preacher suck up. Some do. He said, I want to tell you something. God has sent me here to tell you this. I have the influence 
to get you this amount of votes. But in order to do that, you have to have a public meeting in this park, which is a public park. And I have to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And you know what? He agreed. This is a story that was told to me by a very, very reliable source. And on that day, in that public park, on that public auditorium, he got about 10 to 15 public officials kneel down, which they never do in our countries, and pray, and he declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. I told him, boldness. I told that guy, next time you want me, I'll come and preach for you free of charge. I talked to you about the divine intersections with him. A lady in this church, and she's here this morning, she gave me some money to buy Bibles. She said, here, here's some money. Uh, when you go to uh, Colombo, buy some Bibles and give it to somebody. So I went down to Bible Society. That's where I was staying. I bought 25 Bibles, and I ordered the Bibles, and, and I told the person, uh, j just, just wrap them up. I'll go upstairs, bring the cash, and come down. When I came down, I can see somebody. His face is familiar. He, he was about 55 kilos. Now he's about 95. Uh, I'm about 82, so he's uh, worse off than me. I said, look, your face seems familiar. He said, are you Pastor David? I said, yes. Can't you remember me? I said, mate, I've seen thousands of faces. And uh, the way you changed, I really can't recognize you. He, he told me, 1981, I, I came for a youth camp of yours and God touched my life. Wow, 81 now, this is 2021, 20, I think, or 22, very recently. So I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm having a baptism service for 25 non-Christians and I come to buy 25 Bibles. I told him, what? You come to buy 25 Bibles? Yes, exactly 25. He said, yes. I said, look, the Bibles are there. I'm just going to pay for them. Yours. Divine intersections. Now you might think, oh, well, that works for you. It works for you too if you don't have a fixed mindset. Fixed mindset. Ananias was told, go. Doesn't make sense, but still, go. You are not in charge of the choices I choose. Why Saul? And you might ask, why Saul? Because the moment Saul got saved, the first question is, he asked, who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Surrendered. God can take a surrendered life and use it for his glory. But you and I have to become the instruments through which God works. God can send the angels in heaven, but he chooses us. And in 1981, when God touched that life, I didn't even know it. And 20, 40 odd years later, the seed that was sowed in that ground had brought forth fruit. And he has a thriving church. Of course, he's fighting with everybody all around. That's part of the culture. But God, you feel as if he's fighting that. And I thought, what a guy. What a guy. 
and 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 the person who told me this story, he he said, Pastor, I was with him, and I was scared the way he was talking to the president of the country. I serve a higher authority, and I asked him, Is it true? He said, Yes. Wow. One touch through you can change somebody's life. Don't live selflessly. It's great to come to church and have a good chat and have a, you know, gym jaw and go home. But there's life beyond a Sunday morning. And unless you learn to grasp that truth, you will never enter into the destiny in its fullness of all that God has purposed for you. On, on, on Friday night, I was talking to this pastor and, and, and he asked me, how's your health? I said, I tell you something, I have my good days, bad days, but I've never lived as well as I'm living now. Back ache, side ache, all those things are part of it. But I don't focus on those things. I don't focus on politics and I don't focus on this stuff and that stuff that I can't change, that I have no authority over. God has authority over those things. I keep my eyes focused on one reality that out there when I walk the highways and the byways of life, God might at any opportune moment create a connection for me so that I can bring that one person into God's kingdom and he or she can experience the same grace of God that we have collectively experienced as a family. You know, in 1974, I'll close with this. My, the lady who is now my wife, I have to be careful with these things. Okay, <laughs> I have to tread on glass when you talk about the past and all that. Uh, she, I was quoting her, uh, the only one, okay. She's my one and only. <laughs> Nobody believes that, but that's fine. Okay, uh, I was in a bad place. I was an alcoholic at 17. You know, I would fight and break bottles and beer beer bottles and anyone wants to fight, I am ready for it and still ready and I still am. God is still perfect in me. And uh, somebody who's dead now crossed the road she was at a bus stand. He crossed the road. And he came. And he said, I know what you're going through. But just give Jesus a try. She was religious. We used to go four times a week to church in the Catholic system. Now in the Protestant system, we show up once a month or twice a month. Just to make sure that when the clouds come and the storms beat, and the tsunamis appear, we'll be saved. We come out of our insurance policy. But she knew this history of that guy who got saved, how God touched his life and he was transformed, he was a drug addict. And she says, okay, we give it a try. And he took, she took, he took us to a church and that was the start of a journey which goes on by the grace of God today. But it all started with a connection. With one person choosing to cross the road and make a connection. 
So it's not rocket science. You don't need to know the 66 books of the Bible. You don't need to even know what John 3.16 is. All you need to do is to show a hurting, broken, sinful person there is life beyond today. And it starts with the grace of God so you can be a different person tomorrow. Mm -hmm.